Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 754 for the 30th of July, 2021. This week, right-clicking a file directory or disk drive displays what Microsoft calls a context menu, and that menu offers actions you might want to take with the object. It's a relatively sparse list initially, but a lot of applications add actions that you might not want. It's possible to shorten an uncomfortably long list. In short circuits, the early preview of Windows 11 is now on one of my computers. Considering this is a dev channel version, it includes a surprisingly small number of nasty bugs. Much of the promise of 5G cellular technology is based on the presumption that it will be ubiquitous. For that to happen, providers will need to install a huge number of what are called small cells, maybe 45 million of them in the next decade. In spare parts only on the website, spyware is nasty stuff, but it's here to stay. In the not-too-distant future, you might be able to order a hamburger that doesn't require a cow to be slaughtered and yet isn't made from plants. Say hello to cultured meat. And 20 years ago, I was introduced to Disc on Key at Showstoppers, a program that wasn't part of PC Expo, but ran one evening during the big show. Disc on Key was what we would later call a thumb drive and it was revolutionary. Right-clicking a file, directory, or disk drive displays what Microsoft calls a context menu that offers actions you might want to take with the object. It's a relatively sparse list initially, but a lot of applications add actions that you might not want. The context menu can be changed. On my primary computer, when I right-click a file, I'm offered the usual options to open the file, cut or copy it, rename it or delete it, create a shortcut or view its properties. Applications have added several actions, such as opening in Notepad++. If it's a directory, I'm offered the option to open the bulk name utility. I have the ability to scan a directory or a file with malware bytes. I want those options, too. But there are also options to move the directory to OneDrive, convert the contents to PDF, and several options for WinRAR. I never use those, and I'd like them not to be there. I want them to go away because every option in the context menu increases the time required to open the list, adds actions that I have to search through to find the action I'm looking for, and makes it more likely that I'll accidentally click the wrong option. The context menu for directories is even worse. There are lots of actions I want, but I never add a directory to the VLC Media Player's playlist this way. As much as I like Ultra Edit Studio, I never use a context menu item to open a folder in the program, nor would I ever want to combine the contents in Acrobat. So let's get rid of these unnecessary choices. There is a difficult, scary way to accomplish this. 
there are also several easier options. So let's take a look at the difficult, scary way first. It involves, as you probably suspect, editing the Windows registry. I don't have too much fear of editing the registry because I back up any keys before I modify or delete them, and I have a good general understanding of what I can edit without turning the computer into a smoking pile of electronic components. But still, it is the registry. The registry editor doesn't have training wheels, it doesn't have any safety features. Tell the registry editor to do something dumb, and it will do something dumb. But let's start there so that we understand what's going on in the background when we use one of the easy methods to change the context menu. The context menu may look like it's a single list of choices, but those choices are stored in several different locations. Choices that apply to files and folders, as well as those that apply just to folders, are all stored in the H key class's root key. From there, it gets a little more complicated. There are five specific locations where each of those items can be saved. So that alone might be enough to convince you that this isn't the ideal way to change the context menu. But let's take a look at just one example, because I'm trying to show that this really isn't the good way for most of us to approach the context menu. Let's say you've installed the VLC Media Player. It's a popular application for anybody who wants to play audio files, video files, CDs, video CDs, DVDs, or Blu-ray discs. But maybe you don't want the VLC option in the context menu. I've always preferred to start an application and then load a file or open a directory not to find a file or a directory and open it from the file manager. So where is the option to add to VLC Media Player's playlist in the registry? Well, you'll find the Add to Playlist VLC key in HKeyClass's root directory shell. To remove the option from the context menu, all you have to do is navigate to the Add to Playlist VLC key and delete it. The key is easy to find, it's easy to delete, so why not just do it? Well, there's always a danger in dealing with the registry. Always. A simple mistake can create a problem that renders the computer pretty much unusable. Fixing such a problem might take hours to resolve. You might need to take the computer to a technician who can fix it. The operating system might need to be reinstalled. Data loss is possible if you don't have a current backup. So, there must be a better way to do this. And there is. Several developers that create Windows utilities have included context menu editors. I described Glary Utilities 5 two weeks ago, but I didn't mention that it includes a context menu editor. It isn't the only choice for modifying the context menu, but if you've already installed Glary Utilities, you already have this. The advantage of using a utility to modify the registry is that the developer of the utility has probably spent a fair amount of time to understand how the registry works. That alone makes registry modifications safer. The context menu for files contains a lot of actions I've never used, and I never will. In an initial pass with the Glary Utilities context menu editor, I eliminated half a dozen actions. I expect to revisit the utility later and see if there are other functions that I don't use. You'll see the screenshots on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The context menu for directories was even larger. So I used the context menu editor in Glary Utilities to improve that situation. The utility has three tabs, one for files and folders, another for new documents, and a third for the send to option. 
Files and Folders tab has the largest number of items in eight categories. All files, folders, directories, drives, all file system objects, background, recycle bin, and shortcuts. The New tab controls what the context menu will display if it thinks you want to create a new file, and the Send To section shows applications that you might want to receive files. The first time you open the utility, every active context menu item will be listed with a checkmark. To remove an item from the context menu, clear the checkmark or select the item and then click the Remove button. The safer choice, obviously, is to just clear the checkmark because that retains the ability to restore the item if you decide later you'd like to have it in the list when you right-click something. Other utility providers offer similar utilities. Nearsoft, for example, has the Shell menu view for editing regular Shell items and ShellX view, which handles ShellX items. Shell and ShellX refer to locations in the registry. Some users may find the Nearsoft utilities easier to use, but I like having all of the context menus in Glary's single component and the fact that the context menu manager is part of Glary Utilities. TechPout has identified 15 utilities that can be used to modify the context menu, and I have a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website, so there's really no good reason to limit yourself to manually editing the registry just to change the context menu. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In Short Circuits, this will be the first of an indeterminate number of comments about the forthcoming Windows 11. I've been looking at the initial preview release. There are bugs, there are missing features, but there's enough present to begin to understand where Microsoft is going with this significant update. The desktop and everything on the desktop has changed. Some of the changes are small, some are not. The Start menu displays pinned apps, and there's a button for all apps, just like before. The icon at the bottom left of the Start menu shows the current user and offers options to log in as another user, log out, or lock the computer. The Power button in the lower right section of the Start menu includes the usual power options, Sleep, Shutdown, and Restart. Currently, the taskbar cannot easily be moved from the bottom position. Moving it to another location requires a registry edit, and I hope this ability will be included in personalization settings. That may not be the case, though, because it is currently listed as a deprecated feature. Likewise, the icons are large by default, and changing this also requires a registry edit. I keep a lot of icons in the taskbar, and the inability to make it more than one deck is distressing. This might be addressed by the time Windows 11 hits general availability status, but probably not, because Microsoft seems to be attempting to change the taskbar into a Mac-like dock.
The icon to the right of the search icon on the taskbar displays a screen with various widgets, news, and other information. Adding and removing widgets is severely limited in this preview release, so watch for that to change before general availability. And I've seen some reports that say the notification area can no longer display custom icons from applications. That actually isn't true. Some icons are hidden in what's called the overflow area, which is revealed by clicking a caret symbol at the left of the various quick settings buttons. And that's not new. Some of the icons listed there can be specified to appear in the notification area, but the inability to create a multi-level notification area will reduce usability. Because some utilities are designed to display information in the notification area, I suspect that this is one of the changes that will be met with considerable resistance from users. Apparently, Microsoft feels that Windows 11 users will want to spend more time with games. If that describes you, you'll like what Microsoft has done. If it doesn't describe you, well, you won't care. Auto HDR improves game graphics with vibrant colors and more realistic lighting. Direct storage allows the graphics processing unit, or GPU, to take over functions that used to be handled by and slow down the CPU, so better performance overall. Settings, formerly the control panel, has a much cleaner look. Microsoft has been working for more than a decade to migrate all control panel functions to settings. The control panel still exists in Windows 11, despite Microsoft's ongoing efforts, and that's likely to continue for quite some time. I have seen settings crash, that's something I don't think I've ever seen in Windows 10, and the overall settings performance seems a little sluggish. These issues will be high on the list for being fixed before Windows 11 is released. The ability to copy information from settings has been improved. That's an important feature for use when requesting support for a problem. Selecting the copy function grabs all of the essential information so it can be pasted into an email or into a support ticket without the danger of typographical errors. So there's your quick first look at Windows 11. It's a complex operating system with a lot of substantive changes, so be sure to check back for new information as I work my way through the discovery process. Much of the promise of 5G cellular technology is based on the presumption that it will be ubiquitous. For that to happen, providers will need to install what are called small cells and install lots of them. ID TechX research suggests 45 million such small cells in the next decade. Two new frequency bands in the 3 to 7 gigahertz range and the 24 to 48 gigahertz range will make greater bandwidth the reality and with it lower latency, higher reliability, and the ability to handle more connections. Challenges need to be addressed though, including the shorter reach of those really high frequency signals. Standard 4G signals cover a relatively wide area. The smaller coverage of 5G signals means more locations. Unlike older technology though, 5G towers, such as they are, are all but invisible. According to the ID TechX report, there are three kinds of small cells, femtocells, picocells, and microcells. The classification depends on the output power range and the number of potential users. 
Femtocells will cover a radius of about 100 meters. Picocells will cover the 100 to 200 meter range, and microcells can cover up to a 2,000 meter radius. Femtocells will have an output power no greater than one quarter of a watt and will handle up to 25 simultaneous users. Picocells should be able to handle up to 100 simultaneous users and the maximum output power will be one watt. Microcells with an output power of 1 to 10 watts will be able to handle up to 2,000 users. As of mid-2021, the majority of the 5G commercial rollouts are still focused on enhanced mobile broadband, installing 5G macro-base stations to provide networks with high capacity for those consumers who use mobile devices. However, the ID Tech X report says 5G small cells will play an essential role in supporting uses such as those required to enable smart cities technologies. The 5G small cells 2021 to 2031 technologies markets forecast, which costs $6,000, analyzes data collected via interviews with 5G industry leaders, and it includes an analysis of the supply chain across 5G cells. And if you'd like to acquire that report for $6,000, check out the link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Spare parts doesn't cost $6,000, or even $6, or even $0.06. You can view that section for free on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and this week you'll find these articles. Spyware is nasty stuff, but it is here to stay. In the not-too-distant future, you might be able to order a hamburger that doesn't require a cow to be slaughtered and yet isn't made from plants. Say hello to cultured meat. And 20 years ago, I was introduced to Disc on Key at Showstoppers, a program that wasn't part of the PC Expo show, but ran one evening during the big event. Disc on Key was what we would later call a thumb drive, and it was revolutionary. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.